This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, writing from that place of this this woman who felt defeated, felt she was given no choice in life, to now wanting so much to seek that um, in a new place. Ultimately, the U.S. for her provides this new chapter to find herself, to actually take charge of her destiny. Do you like books? I'm outlining a new writing project. Who wrote this book? Read it. Read it. Sometimes I'd write something. What are you writing? Have you written anything lately? I'm Amanda Stern, and this is Bookable. On today's show, course correcting your life. The world puts you in a box. Geography, social class, family dynamics, gender, all things you're born into with no say in the matter. But life gets really interesting when you're finally able to make choices to fix what feels wrong. Oh my goodness. I was like, what happened? Well, our guest today, she's written a novel all about one woman's journey to live a life that's in congruence with her values, even at a steep cost to others. Time for an introduction. Hi, my name is Nicole Dennis Ben, and I'm the author of Patsy. Nicole Dennis-Ben. Patsy is set in the late 90s, both in Jamaica and the neighborhood of Crown Heights in Brooklyn. The titular character Patsy is affable, headstrong, and trying to find her place in the world. You know, she was not given much opportunities in Jamaica where she's from, and so she looks to the U.S. as a place for better opportunities, um, upward mobility, but most of all, also to reconnect with her love, um, Cicely, who already lives in the United States. Cicely is Patsy's best friend from childhood. But Patsy's not just running to her best friend. She's also running away from something. Motherhood. It's a role she never wanted in the first place. And to course correct her life, it means making a difficult choice most mothers would never make. And she chooses herself over her child. For every working class Jamaican, no matter where they are on the island, one of the biggest dreams is to leave, given that upward mobility is so hard to achieve in Jamaica. And so for Patsy, for her, it was to look to either the US or the UK or Canada. And to stand in that line, that embassy line, um, is something that I saw all the time growing up back home. Because a lot of people want, like, you know, they're seeking jobs overseas and the U.S. visa was actually the hardest visa to get. So I wanted to open the book up um, so that people can actually see the desperation there, you know, of these Jamaicans wanting desperately to leave 
um, even though they're actually in the midst of this beautiful moment in, 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 a, um, in the culture where the reggae boys, which is our national soccer team, was representing the country in France, and this was 1998. So I actually wanted to parallel that, like, you know, um, the, the juxtaposition between the joy that you're seeing and then also that desperation for, um, that many working class Jamaicans had to leave to find better opportunities elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it was so important to, to document that embassy scene and document Patsy's anxiety because I know, you know, if she gets rejected, that means she has to apply and wait another two years, you know, to come back. And so that was, that's something that every, every Jamaican had that anxiety um, in that line waiting. And so can you tell the listeners what it is that gets Patsy approved for a visa? Right. So Patsy, you know, by chance, she had this person who was working um, the desk when she went to get to do her interview. And, you know, he happened to mention having a child. Right. And, you know, Patsy is somebody who kind of reads the room. And for her, that was her in. She says, well, I have a daughter as well. But it was the underlying thing was that Patsy never wanted motherhood. You know, and she had this this picture of her daughter she, she carries around. And in that moment, she now utilizes that as her only opportunity to get this person to open up to her and stamp her, her approval, that visa. The bigger meaning in that, too, is like in terms of acceptance um, in society as a woman, you know, for her showing the picture that she has this child, this toddler, um, you know, for this man, he was like, oh, wow, you have a baby. That means there's no way you're going to run away to the United States. So let me stamp your, your passport with a visiting visa. And so that was really what got her through the door. From Patsy, page 48. Patsy's rage had soared unbounded, encompassing not only her powerlessness, but the accumulated resentments she had for her mother the pain of her mother's loyalty and affection for Jesus. Patsy had to be restrained once by the church sisters who had come to pray for her. They clamped their hands on her shoulders and belly, hardened hands, calloused from washing clothes and scrubbing floors, hands used to comfort grief-stricken mothers and catch those who throw themselves about, eye-rolling, swept up in the Holy Spirit. You know, she was raised by a very religious mother, you know, and I mentioned earlier that, you know, here's a working class Jamaican woman who was already defeated by society. First of all, she's a dark skinned black girl and um, growing up on an island that still has um, a lot of our post-colonial scars. You know, um, a, an island that still tells the darker population, um, the working class Jamaicans, that there is nothing that you can, re you can really do. You know, there's no job. Um, education is not free. And also, if you're dark skin, you know, there's no opportunities for accessibility. So their colorism is real. And so here's Patsy existing in that realm, existing in a household where her mother is already defeated. Her mother has already left. I mean, she's there physically, mm -hmm. but she um, emotionally, she left. She went into the church. She gave her life to Christ. And, you know, she had more Jesus figurines around the house than food in the cupboard. And so for Patsy seeing that, you know, coming of age, realizing that she doesn't want to be her mother, you know, knowing that she also sits in that defeat or under the shadow, in the shadow of that defeat. And she she knows that if she, look, she looks at her daughter with nothing to give, nothing to offer, 
um, that that's ultimate failure for her. So she ultimately says, you know what, I'm going to have my daughter be raised by the father and leave to the United States where she hopes to find herself or, or to find um, her place in the world. Um, and also, meanwhile, she has this friend, Cicely, who she is in love with. And, you know, that it's a it's a blurry line between um, the platonic relationship and romantic relationship with that, with Cicely and Patsy, because here Cicely is this light-skinned best friend that she met in primary school, um, the one who chose her, like, quote-unquote, chose Patsy as her friend, um, the way Jesus chooses his 12 disciples. And in terms of reading between those lines is that a girl like Cicely, who is light-skinned with blue eyes and blue-green eyes, you know, that's the, that's the aesthetic. Um, that you're told to aspire to, you know, or that, that's a study that you're told that um, has is going to make it. The people who are going to rise and make it in society, you know, the Sicilies of the world were the friends that you ought to aspire to have. And so the fact that she chose Patsy, Patsy, that's Patsy's one validation in life. So she's now chasing that across the ocean um, as an adult saying, well, you know, I have this friend Sicily in the U.S., I'm going to now, you know, go to Sicily because Sicily promised her that they could be be together, you know, in, in America. And so Patsy dropped everything in Jamaica um, with the hopes that America would be her heaven, the way how Mama G's heaven was the church. Well, I mean, church promised Mama G heaven. Um, here, America is promising Patsy Sicily in addition to upward mobility. Right. And Patsy in Jamaica receives these incredible letters from Sicily. And what do the letters tell her? Yeah, Cicely writes these beautiful letters promising that, you know, America, they have this freedom. They can stroll to Chinatown. They can, you know, go to stores and be together, live in a nice house together, you know, with the white picket fences. So all these promises that Cicely was sketching out in these letters um, kind of build Patsy up. She's like, oh, wow, you know, here I am sitting in my cubicle with all these stacks of things because Patsy's a secretary at the ministry at the ministry. Um she's underpaid and under um yeah she's underpaid and overworked. And so these letters were her reprieve. And so when she got those letters, she was able to dream. You know, for the very first time she she had a dream. And to, only to to act on that, you know, to go to the embassy, get her visa, come all the way to Brooklyn, New York, and see that Cicely is already married with, with the family. So it was just a brutal disappointment. You know, it was something that Patsy never expected. And so she had to deal with that in addition to her, um, you know, having no paperwork. That was just, it was so brutal because Patsy is is sold on a fantasy, not only of America, but of this life that she could have with this woman that she loves. Exactly. And then she arrives here. And what is the reality that Patsy arrives into so patsy never knew was that you know in america it's it's still, it's as hard as anywhere to survive you know especially if you don't have the right education and you don't have the right paperwork you know so a lot of immigrants come here in that same fantasy feeling that oh my gosh the streets are going to be paved with gold so patsy was re she had high expectations for the first time in her life and so when she comes here and she realizes okay she's landing in brooklyn new york this was in 1998. You know, we had the crack epidemic, which was by then, yes, it was um, it wasn't as bad as the 80s, but still, you know, it wasn't it wasn't Fifth Avenue. Um, 
you know, um, in terms of the fantasy that you see of the U.S. when you see the television shows um, that Patsy listed in her um, in her narrative, you know, watching the Jeffersons or watching, you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's, you know, it was nothing compared to any of that. And so it was a culture shock. From Patsy, page 228. Mama G's eyes are shut so tight in prayer that she doesn't notice when True returns and sits back down to hide from the talking eyes. It's exactly how the teachers at school looked at Olivia Moore when her mother died of cancer. How their heads bow slightly in her presence and their chatter quieted. Here, in the atypical silence of the church, and in spite of Mama G's status as a martyr, True begins to perceive her woeful existence as a motherless child. True is Patsy's daughter, right? She was she was five years old when Patsy left Jamaica for the U.S. So True ends up now coming of age, questioning her mother's abandonment, while she also begins to um, come into her own identity. You know, True was left with a promise, right? Patsy told True, be a good, obedient girl, and I'll be back for you. No, first of all, that's a trap. In addition to that, it was also a lie because True doesn't even feel like a girl. She knew this. Like, she knew that she wasn't a girl, but she also wasn't a boy. She didn't have a name for it. And in the novel itself, I didn't really define what that was, even though now we have that, that terminology, non, gender nonconforming. But in, the, in this book, in this novel, True has no idea what she is. You know, she just knows that she's not a typical girl. Um, and also the fact that her mother left, there's that guilt that she left behind, you know, because True's also questioning what did she do wrong? You know, why hasn't her mother even sent a letter or even um, the, a phone call? And the one phone call that she got, Patsy hung up the phone before True could pick up. And that really sent True into this spiral, you know, of like just the rejection. She was, she's ultimately um, rejected, you know, and having to know, build herself back up and so luckily you know she has her sports you know she got soccer and then there is Roy her father who took her under his wing when he realized that she was more athletic than her brothers um she excelled in school and so she kind of got this community um you know she kind of inherited this community from her father who's Sergeant Beckford you know so that protection there for her to be that tomboy or be that gender non-conforming person in Kingston, Jamaica, and not experience any repercussions to that. And then, of course, having her friends, you know, all her um, soccer teammates who are all boys, um, also being very protective and also seeing her as one of the boys, you know. And so True ultimately gets that freedom that I think she wouldn't have gotten with Patsy there as a mother telling her, be a good, obedient girl. Right. It's, you know, that was so frustrating for me about Patsy, who also doesn't fit inside any sort of traditional standard box. Exactly. She leaves True and tells her to be a good girl. And she seems to be pushing her daughter towards heteronormativity and traditional notions of girlhood. Yes. Why does Patsy want her daughter to conform to unhealthy norms when she's been trying to break free from them her entire life? So Patsy has this weird, um, like she has this weird notion that if she can tell her daughter at that very young age to conform, then it would probably save her from a lot of the heartaches 
you know, and, and physical burdens. Because for her, she knows the danger in that, in not fitting in. She knows the, um, the scorn, you know, that one experiences when they're stepping outside of that mar- margin, right? Um, especially as a mother for her, you know, she couldn't even tell anybody that she doesn't want motherhood, you know, and definitely she could not tell anybody that she has feelings for women um, in a society um, like Jamaica. So for her you now looking at her daughter and kind of spotting something in her, she says, you know what? No, this is not going to happen. You need to conform or else society is not going to accept you. You know, so that was really um, just her projecting and also just her as this mother. I mean, her last attempt at motherhood is trying to protect her daughter from what she experienced. Mm. I want to hear more about Patsy's ambivalence about being a mother. Yes, that and that's a. I mean, that was a that's a controversial issue um, anywhere, um, you know, be it Jamaica, America, anywhere where a woman who actually admits to that is like seen as a pariah. I wanted to explore it deeper into the, in, the, in this book because it actually really fascinated me as a writer. You know, writing from the perspective of a woman who dares to say to herself first that this is not for her, and then of course, you know, end up saying it to others. Um, I guess by the by the middle and the end of the book. The thing is, you know, Patsy, like I said earlier in the conversation, was never given a choice in the first place. You know, she's this working class Jamaican woman who, you know, motherhood kind of happened to her. And it it was kind of unfortunate in that, you know, abortion is illegal in Jamaica. So it's not like she gets pregnant and, oh, you know, she can actually help, like, go to a clinic. There was no possibilities of that. So she ends up having to raise true as her, you know, by herself. Um... And then still resenting that, still saying, you know what, she waited for the love to come, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. She didn't really want True to even experience that. There was that line in the book where, you know, it's more dignified as a mother to leave as opposed to be a distant one who stays. And so to, for Patsy, that was her mentality. You know, she should rather run away from it because, she, she, like I said, she, has nothing, she had nothing to offer True. And she didn't want True to come of age seeing her as distant and angry and bitter. Time for a short break. When we come back, True copes with her abandonment and we talk Jamaican authenticity. Stick around. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Bookable. I'm Amanda Stern, here with Nicole Dennis-Ben, author of Patsy. Americans' embrace of talking openly about mental health has spawned an entire industry dedicated to wellness. But in Jamaica, the conversation is so repressed, they call depression the devil's cold. Growing up in Jamaica, um, we never talked about mental health. If you do mention it, it's mostly, oh, seeing the people on the street who are homeless and naked walking around begging for coins. 
but nobody really explored what it is um, to have depression or schizophrenia or anything like that. No labels. And so if you are sad, you just say you're feeling blue. You know, um, you never really utter like utter any any word um, identifying what you're feeling. And so many Jamaicans are. I mean, we're a very religious society, and so many. Many just go to the church and you hear things like, oh, pray about it. You know, you're feeling worried or whatever it is, pray about it. And so for a Mama G, she's utilizing religion for her as her coping mechanism. You know, I mentioned that she was already defeated and, um, you know, she took religion to the extreme. You know, this woman had no food in the cupboard, but she had, you know, all these Jesus figurines and rose water and all these things. And so, you know, it begs us to really question what's really going on there with this woman. And then, of course, here's Patsy dealing with this devil's cold. But for her, because she doesn't have the language for it, you know, it's referred to as a devil's cold. And it follows her from Jamaica to America. You know, she thought um, for a brief second that America would actually help her to feel better. You know, um, that Sicily would help her to feel better. But that's far from the truth. For Patsy navigating America's undocumented and now having depression, it was really hard because she has no health insurance. Um, no access to mental health care. And the one time that she did see on TV that there's something called Prozac, you know, she went into the right aid and the, the person was like, well, you need a prescription. But she has no doctor. She has no psychiatrist. And so that was something that um, I wanted to tap into, um, you know, with the undocumented immigrant experience. And then, of course, there's who who is going through what she's going through, you know, cutting herself, feeling the need to cut herself because, that's how she takes out her depression. That's how she takes out her anxieties, her frustration with not fitting into the world or into school. And so that's what she does privately. And so that's something um, that we don't talk about in Jamaica as well. You know, we tend to look at those things as an uptown problem, an upper class problem, because those individuals who have the money and the prestige, you know, they're more forthcoming with certain things that people in the working class society don't have. So mental health care is one of them for sure. And so for true, that's something I wanted to explore in a working class Jamaican girl, you know, her cutting herself that way to cope. From Patsy, page 340. Sorry about earlier. What are you apologizing for? I'm used to it, True says. That's why I rate you. You're so brave. Brave? Saskia shrugs. Just how you dress and carry yourself. You're not afraid? I can't be scared to be me. I wouldn't call that brave. What you call it then? Existing. You think it can exist here? It's True's turn to shrug. I have been doing it so far. So, her voice trails. You told this story partly in Jamaican Patois. Were you warned against doing that? No. Um, you know, it's interesting because before I got published as an author, um, I was warned against it. You know, um, you know, I had a colleague who said, you know, you won't get translation rights not everybody is going to understand Jamaican Patois. But I, I didn't feel good about that because, you know, if 
if Jamaicans are also reading the book, I wouldn't want them to open the book and not hear themselves or see themselves. If I'm reading Jamaican Patois in somebody else's book and it's off, I'm like, mm -hmm. oh no, it's not authentic. And so I wanted to stay true to my characters, you know, and write in a way where people who don't necessarily understand Jamaican Patois can still understand what's going on, you know, so putting it in context um, in the dialogue so that people can actually slow down a little bit and reread just to understand. And also in slowing down, it gets them, it makes them listen more and see the people who are speaking more. And thanks to my ancestors like Zora Neale Hurston, who did that, gave me that permission, you know, the confidence to do something like that. You know, that was something that I, that I desperately needed as a new writer, you know, how to best preserve the, the authenticity of these characters on the page um, with dialogue. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy I stuck to that, that I didn't go with that colleague's advice, because it's at the end of the day, I'm still rewarded by Jamaicans coming up to me saying, thank you for writing or a story you know, um, with us on the page. And also people who are not Jamaican also saying they know, they appreciate hearing it, you know, or reading it. So, yes, I'm really um, happy about that. I'm glad that you you didn't listen also. It, it just, you can, there's such a full taste uh, in your mouth with this book. The Patois is very musical. It's very rhythmic. Yes. And it's, you feel it inside your body as you're reading. And I, I thought that that was another level of storytelling. And I thought it was really essential. And I was so happy that you, you did that. Thank you. And another thing too, you know, writing for me is liberating. It was writing that gave me my voice. And, you know, I was never a vocal person. I was never uh, one to like, you know, speak out loud, you know, because I didn't have that confidence. And so with writing, I found my freedom. And now to be a writer and to be told, oh, no, don't, don't use the language um, or language. You know, it kind of gave me like that, that uh, post-traumatic stress of being told by principals back in Jamaica, oh, you cannot speak Patois because people are going to regard you as um, uncultured or uneducated. You know, and so for us to be told we can't speak our own language, that was the first form of ripping our identity away from us. And so for me now, having, finding my voice again, and finding my identity in writing, it's like I need to reclaim what was taken away from me. Nicole Dennis Ben, author of Patsy. It's published by LiveWrite and is available now. Bookable is a production of Loud Tree Media. I'm your host, Amanda Stern. Five feet tall, and there is no course correcting for that. We're produced by me, Bo Friedlander, and Andrew Dunn, who also mixed and sound designed the show. Bo is Loudtree's editor-in-chief. Find us on the web at bookablepod.com, and please subscribe and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. And if you want to learn more about our guests, find us on Instagram at bookablepod, and follow me, your host, at a little stern. This is bookable.